Good morning, Faith Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I'm Nate. I am the DeWitt campus pastor, so I don't get to see you guys very often over here, and I love spending time with you, and I'm excited to be with you. Guess what? This morning, this is my third cup of coffee. I normally have one, okay, So, and I've already been long-winded, so it's going to be a lot of fun this morning. Just give me a heads up. I don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to go somewhere because of coffee. <laughs> no, I'm just a little hyper, a little hyped up. But uh, this morning, I just wanted to uh, talk with you a little bit about our Enneagram series, Dive Back In. And I, I, I just love being here. I think Evan takes great care of you guys. If you want his personal cell phone number, come see me. I do know it. I'll text it to you. I don't care. He, uh, you know, I'll, I'll help that out. So just, just come see me, all right? But anyways, today we're picking up the loyalist, number six. So we have nine numbers when we talk about the Enneagram. It's an assessment uh, resource based on a book called The Road Back to You. That is the title of our series. The Road Back to You was written by Ian Morgan Cron. He was a, uh, um, a great person. He's got, he, he was also a pastor. He's a psychiatrist, all that fun stuff, and a great author. Um, in this book, I, I came across it several years ago in seminary. We had to do some research on it. We did um, the test. We, it was just a great resource for spiritual development, and that's what we're hoping and praying that it is for you. We've already heard some tremendous stories of just what God is doing through this series, and we praise God for that. This morning, talking about the six, it might be a little heavy because it tends to camp out a little bit on fear. A little bit more information about the Enneagram is this. I'm an Enneagram 7. I love to have fun. I like to mix things up. I like to uh, bring more opportunity to a one's, per, you know, like the perfectionist side. I love to mess with them. They are, they're like God's gift to a 7 <laughs> in so many ways, you know? So I, just a 7, though, for me, uh, being a 7, type, uh, like that is my type, there are wings. Wings can either be one number above or below. And through life seasons, you kind of can gravitate towards one number more than the other. But it just changes the flavor of a seven, or whatever your number is, a little bit by a wing. My wing is a six. So I can associate a little bit with a six just in my own life, but especially through my wife. Becca, she scored pretty high in the six. If you remember, several weeks ago, we canceled church because of an ice storm. Remember that? She was tracking that storm three weeks before it hit. <laughs> Sixes can be worst case scenario. That's just the way they operate. Worst case scenario will happen. She's tracking the storm, ice storm. It was a snowstorm. We're getting 12 inches of snow, you know, snow. And she doesn't care. Whoever's around, she's sharing the stats with. She will let you know. Before the storm hit, like three days before, we have to go to the grocery store to prep because we're going to lose power for three weeks. We need to have water, we need to have bread, we need to have eggs. There's all kinds of scenarios that play out in that. She was telling me that what if we hard-boil, like hard-boiled eggs, will they last longer if we lose power? I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm not there. I'm so sorry, Becca. But uh, that's the way sixes tend to operate. But here's the thing. What Ian says about sixes in his book, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, guys. I already went long first service. I love Yukon Cornelius. I really do. And I'm just so happy to be. I have a little more gray, though. That's too bad. That's awesome. I love it. Thanks to whoever did that. Uh, Yukon Cornelius. Anyone sees Rudolph? That's where he's at, and he licks the hammer. I love the noise. I don't know. It's so weird, but I just do. Um, Yukon. All right. Where were we? 
Ian Morgan Cron says this about the sixes. Many Enneagram teachers believe these reliable, warm, funny, and self-sacrificing people make up more than half the world's population. Other words, sixes are the most popular number. Of all the numbers in the, in the Enneagram, sixes are the most popular. The problem, though, is they kind of get a bad rap, and that's with fear and anxiety. This morning, if you come into this service, you come into this church, and you have more fear than faith, you might be a loyalist. You might be a loyalist. But regardless if you're a six or you're just a regular person, doesn't matter who you are, if you don't even know the type, if fear is in your life, I want to start with prayer this morning. Because whenever we talk about fear, even in preparing, it gets heavy. There's all kinds of things that bubble to the surface when we, when we camp out on fear. So I just want to start with praying. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, I just pray that this space right here would be a holy place. Father, I am so tired of seeing so many people just paralyzed by fear. I'm so tired of seeing so many people anxious, just in general. And I know for a fact that's not the way you operate. That's not coming from you. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that that would be cut off the fear, the anxiety, panic, wherever we're facing, whatever we're bringing to this room, I pray it would be cut off in Jesus' name so that the blood of protection, the blood you sacrificed on the cross for us will be here and protecting us through your resurrection power, Lord Jesus. Father, I just pray that we would hear your voice the loudest this morning. Take us where you want us to go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today I want to talk to you uh, a little bit about a character from the Bible. We always try to associate a character of the Bible with the number we're talking about. Today being a loyalist, we think Peter is the loyalist out of the, out of the Bible. Based on some key factors, um, Peter looks like he would have been a loyalist. Uh, one of the best examples of that is from Matthew chapter 14. Um, Jesus just fed the 5,000. If you remember the 5,000 miracle talking about that, that's where, where we're going to pick up today in the story. But I think it's really difficult. The more I spent some time on that this week, weeks uh, leading up to this sermon, the, I realized in America we really struggle with understanding the, the big picture of what really happens in the miracle of feeding the 5,000. We really don't know, most of us in the room really have no idea what it means to eat for survival. If you're anything like me, I worry more about if I have enough portion for each meal. That's where we camp out. We, we have enough food. Most of us in this room, we don't even know what it means to have, to worry about food for survival. And what Jesus brings to the table in this miracle right off the bat is he is meeting a significant need in their life with food. The one thing that day, they may have had one meal, and that meal was just met in a major way. 5,000 people, and the number goes much bigger than that. They might just be counting the men. Or, or um, it's just the way they counted back then. It was a little messed up system, but there's a lot more people that could have represented that 5,000 people. But regardless, it's a significant event. It's a significant miracle, all based with food. So what happens in light of that? People get attracted to Jesus, they really want to see what's, he just su supplied our food. 
The survival, we can survive another day. We can go forward. We have energy now because of this man. Don't you think that would foster some popularity? Don't you think he'd be super popular after that? He was. But what's Jesus do? Sends them away. He pushes them away to go to a solitary place and pray. He even pushes the disciples away. So Jesus can go to a solitary place, withdraw. I'm just wondering for, for a moment, think about this. If, if any of us, a six, anyone who's just facing anxiety and fear and worry, can you imagine what a solitary place could do for you? Could you imagine the power that you would get just by going by yourself and praying or spending time focused on God for a moment? And here's, here's why I want to bring this up. So many times, if we don't do this, this may sound a little harsh, I'm not trying to be, I'm speaking to myself here too. If we don't take time to have a solitary place where we connect with our Heavenly Father to gain identity from Him, we're literally saying we are God. We deserve to carry it all on our shoulders. We deserve to go through life and have all the solutions. That looks like God. So for us to camp out for a moment and find a solitary place where we are praying to the true God, the God, we get to enter it back into that relationship saying, he is God, I am not. I never was created to be God. I don't want to be God. I know the true God. That's where I get my power. That's where I got my identity. We have to be reminded of that. And can you imagine fear and anxiety, how that would just fall away for a a brief moment connecting in that peace. And that's where we pick up. Jesus prioritizing that, a solitary place. That's not supposed to be up here, so let's ignore that. Type A people, please trust me on this. Don't, Don't look, okay? Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Again, just highlighting that solitary price, prioritizing Jesus, the Son of God. If anyone doesn't have to do this, it would be him, and he still does. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves about three o'clock in the morning. So if you can put this in perspective, I get a little antsy talking about prayer life, and the point is not any kind of guilt here at all. The point is just highlighting the priority, the priority Jesus had. So they think the feeding of the 5,000 took place during dinner time. Immediately after the dinner, he sends everybody away, sends the disciples on their way, and then he goes and prays until 3 a.m. Several hours of time with God. Just to be honest, it's hard sometimes for me to pray for 10 minutes. There's seasons in life where it's difficult to pray. But being reminded of this and being reminded of Jesus' posture towards his heavenly father, the son of God, Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, which is hard for us to wrap our minds around, but he still insisted on praying for several hours. Does not mean we need to go pray several hours. What it means is we just need to prioritize it. We just need to spend some time reminding ourselves we are not God and being reminded of who God is. Moving on. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night 
and really thought there was someone in the house? No? Just me? Okay. Two people? Two people are admitting this. Seriously, waking up in the middle of the night, hearing a noise, and you're like, okay, someone's in the house. For me, I immediately gravitate towards building a case. I'm like, one more noise. Okay, one more noise. I know someone's here. Just give me one more confirming noise that someone is present. The problem is I'll get that. I'll get another noise, and I'm thinking, I am paralyzed with fear right now. <laughs> I'm going to stay in my warm bed and assist, assess the situation from my current location. <laughs> All in my mind, you know? And then you're like, I can't go back to sleep. But we get that feeling of like, someone's there. I can't imagine. Jesus did not message them. He did not Snapchat. Like, he's not using any technology. He's literally coming out to them 3 a.m. in the middle of a storm and saying, I'm not a ghost. <laughs> like, that's freaky. That's crazy. And so fear is all about this story. And we'll quickly see what the uh, loyalist does. But first, he says the most important words. He spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Take courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. These words are not just for sixes. These words are for anybody. In fact, if you want to do a word study, be not afraid is mentioned over 360 times in the Bible. 360 times, be not afraid. This is something we all need to hear. This is something we all need to hear. I was a youth pastor for several years and working with um, students. There was one thing that I had to step into uh, when I got a job at a, a different church. It was a little larger of a situation with the students, and, which created a lot of problems. And one of the main problems that I had ste stepping into it was there was a group of sixth grade girls that we found out through the school. We were working with a school even. The principal uh, was very much involved. But there was a group of three or four girls, sixth grade, that would, they developed a um, private Instagram account and they would find a random girl that morning, and they did this about once a week, take a picture of that girl, and then throw it up all over Snapchat, Instagram, like everywhere, and shame her for being a whore. No reason. Just random girl, a sixth grader, take a picture and share it everywhere. We have no idea the, the depth of bullying today. It is not just a phrase. It is not just something. There is so much depth to bullying today. And if you're a student this morning and you have so much fear, even in school, I, I just want to say the words to you. Do not be afraid. Take courage. It's okay if I get loud here. Do not be afraid. We all need to hear this, no matter the situation. If you're a student and, and you fail a test or you're sitting alone in the lunchroom or you have to move, don't be afraid. If you're an adult and you, you, you have a spouse that filed divorce and you don't know what to do, you lost your job, and you have a, a, t a tremendous amount of debt, you hear the words, you have cancer. Do not be afraid. Amen. Take courage. That's the good news. That is the gospel. Uh, sitting in seminary, one of the first classes I ever had was define the gospel. You don't realize how many definitions there is. All I know is this, do what Jesus does. And what Jesus says in a very firm way, do not be afraid. 
take courage. No matter your situation, no matter where you're at, if you feel like you're sinking, if you feel like there's a lot on your plate, first and foremost, do not be afraid. Take courage. Then Peter called to him, and this is where the loyalist comes into the story. Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. If you want a definition of the gospel, that's it. Do what Jesus does. That's the good news. And a loyalist, they're the first to do it. They are loyal. They're committed. They're going to do what Jesus, that's the essence of Jesus. It's, it was even the construct of the Jewish, Jewish uh, education system. They did whatever the rabbi did. There's even stories of when a rabbi went into the bathroom. They followed him. They did exactly what the rabbi would do, even in the bathroom. That's a little legalistic, if you're asking me. But do what Jesus did. That's the premise of the good news. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went out over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves... He was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Here's the thing. If you want to do what Jesus did, you have to rescue people. You have to reach out and save people. The minute someone's seeking, the minute someone has a sin issue in their life or fear that's plaguing them and paralyzing them, our job is not to reprimand our job is not to throw it in their face. Here's the problem. The church has done a poor job at this. If someone declares that they have fear in their life, if they are worried, if they have anxiety in their life, our job is usually go read the Bible. Go pray. Go get closer to Jesus. No. Jesus' first move, whenever someone is presented with sinking or fear or being paralyzed by fear, is to grab them, to move closer to them, to show them grace. Not move away, not reprimand, but to save. And the minute Peter was saved, the minute Peter was able to take a breath and realize Jesus had rescued him, that's when Jesus gets very specific. You have so little faith. He didn't shy away from the truth. It's just we have it always mixed up a lot of times. We usually do this first, and that is reprimand because we're good at it, and then saved. But Jesus said, you had little faith. Why did you doubt me? My middle daughter, Sydney, is an eight. You'll learn about an eight in a couple weeks if you don't know what an eight is already. They're a challenger. Uh, best way I can describe it is like, we have a Welch Corgi. Have you ever seen a Welch Corgi? They're super small. They're like hairy wiener dogs, okay? They're real small, long, and they have big ears. Um, the, the whole way they're bred is to take on something tremendously bigger than them. They're really small, and they're bred to herd cattle. So they can roll around. They're super strong. They don't back down. They have little dog syndrome. Eights are like that. They don't back down. They're like pit bulls. They sink their teeth in. They will not let go. That's Sydney, okay? Sydney, when she was three, I think it was three or four, she really determined in her head she could swim. She could not swim. <laughs> There's nothing that gave proof to her swimming, but when she was three or four, she was determined she could swim. We were at a hotel, and as we were going on the elevator to the pool, she literally said to us she could swim. We're like, no, you can't. We get to the pool. We start unpacking the floaties, all that fun stuff. What Sydney do? Takes off to the pool because she can swim. 
Do you know what happens when you believe you can swim, but you really can't swim? You swim. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't. You sink like a rock. <laughs> you go down. So Becca flings into action and rescues Sydney. And you know what Sydney says the minute she catches her breath? Three, four-year-old. You think they'd be bawling, throwing a fit? Not Sid. She literally goes, guess I can't swim. <laughs> like in her mind, she had to be convinced <laughs> she did not swim. I don't know. That's just how eights are. They're so stubborn. They're amazing. You imagine in that moment if my wife put her hands on her hips, the minute she fell in, started reprimanding her, told you so. You mean in that moment she knew you couldn't swim, now you're going to have to figure it out. It's not the way Jesus is wired. It's not the way Jesus, his immediate response is to rescue and then be honest about what's going on in the situation. There's a time and place for both. But as a church with good news, truly the gospel, our job is to rescue first, not place a logical plan on how they could be better, but figure out how to just show love, first and foremost, to rescue, then be honest with the situation. So they climbed in, back into the boat, the wind stopped, then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Amazing moment. So let's talk about sixes for a little bit. A little bit of information on the sixes. The loyalists reflects God's faithfulness. The loyalists reflects God's faithfulness. They're incredibly faithful. Do you, you, you have any idea why God would choose a six as the captain of the boat? Because of their loyalty. When Peter denied Christ three times, what were the other disciples? They were not there. Peter was. They're loyal. They're loyal through and through. They believe in people. So, the core motivation of a six, be safe and avoid risk. We need sixes in our life. I'm telling you, especially sevens, okay? I love the opposite. I love danger. I love risk. I've gotten better as I've gotten older because I'm just not in shape anymore. <laughs> um, I still could be. That's my choice. I'm sorry. But, Core motivation, be safe and avoid risks. We need these people in our life. When sixes are healthy, this is some things they look like, able to determine character in the people they encounter. Sixes are incredi have incredible radars for character. For character in their life, if, if there's character flaws, they just feel it because they're so in tune with people. They do a great job with that. Another healthy uh, sixes are reliable, loyal, trustworthy, compassionate, and good planners. They, they will plan because they want to avoid, or they want to be safe and then avoid risks. So they're, they're great planners. One character I love about sixes is this. Sixes will have snacks ready when you need it. <laughs> right now, if you have granola bars in your purse, you're probably a six. I don't want to shame you. <laughs> but most likely, you're probably a six if you got snacks ready for the people around you. That's why we need sixes. I'd love to talk to you after service. This is my third service. I'm hungry. <laughs> Unhealthy sixes, some uh, characteristics of unhealthy sixes. When you're unhealthy, you tend to go, you see only potential risk and danger. Worst case scenario. They will hyper-focus on what's the worst case and it's going to happen, no matter what. Life is dictated by fear and anxiety. There's a paralyzing problem to sixes. They, they will be isolated. They will not, 
well, even the next one explains it even more. They end up not trusting people, causing them to avoid new experiences and sabotaging relationships. That's a six when they're really unhealthy. Because they have such a good radar for people and character that they will just sense that and not do, if they're unhealthy, they would rather not trust a person for a very long time because they're loyal, they're committed to what they believe too. But then the other, when they're healthy, the minute they trust somebody, it's for life because of how loyal they are. But unhealthy, and we all can be unhealthy at times, that's the worst case scenario. So core sin for a six is fear. That's why we're talking about fear a lot this morning. And it's not just with sixes. I mean, whenever you talk about fear, it goes to all different kinds of places, but especially in sixes, the core sin. And nobody likes to hear what the core sin is. That's not a fun thing. It's not a stat that, oh, my sin is this. No, it's not fun. But the thing is, it's true. This is where sixes will tend to gravitate towards is fear. Worst case scenario. Always built. Uh, what the other day, my mind was so like busy and full of uh, all kinds of stuff. And again, just highlighting, I'm a wing six. So I can go worst case scenario. It takes me a while to get there because I just feel like I have a, I don't know, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not kind of thing. So if you're like me at all, anybody um, like to see the gaslight come on and look at it as a challenge? <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I see you. One person, people, seriously, only one person? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, there we go. I see that hand. Uh, I just, for some reason, I, even when I was younger, my dad would always have that conversation with me. It's hard on vehicles. And I'm like, no, it's an opportunity. <laughs> it's a fun <laughs> opportunity to have, how far can you go? Um, so when I see it, like, the light almost came on coming here, just to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I just like, that's cool. I want to I wanna know really what's in the reserve, right? So I decided to go get gas the other day at the busiest gas station in the area. Anybody know where that's at? Absolutely. Yes, Costco is up there. Okay, Costco, I don't know. Costco and Sam, are they selling just gas? <laughs> There's like a concert every time I go past the gas pumps. I'm like, what is going on? So I get attracted to be like, is it gas? You know, like, let's be honest. So I'm driving past Sam's the other day, and there's like a window, light coming from the heaven, you know, music, because there's an open pump. And I'm like, this is a good day. I'm pulling in. So I pump gas. Great experience. Get back in. All said and done. Turn the car. Nothing. Dead. Let me remind you, this is the busiest gas pump we got in Lansing. So the minute I turn, I'm looking, I already car pulls up behind me, like, they're aggressive there. They're not friendly, they're aggressive. They're sharks, a lot of eights. Yep. <laughs> right, Sid? <laughs> so, my mind immediately goes, worst case scenario. I have a Ford Escape, and I've read on the internet that they tend to have security issues and they will lock up. When they have a security issue, there's nothing you can do. So I call two sons which is a great automotive place. I go there all the time, talk to Tyler. I'm telling Tyler, because he's not seeing the vehicle, so I'm just like, hey, I feel like this is the problem. He's like, yeah, you're gonna have to get it towed to a dealership. So I immediately get off the phone with him, call a tow person, and the tow guy's like, I could be there in an hour. <laughs> Busiest gas pump place, whatever. People are lining up just as I get done with the phone call, call the guy, an hour. So I immediately get out of the car and go talk to the guy that's um, looking over all the pumps. 
They're always nice. They're, they're so relaxed. That dude is like, hey, having a great day. So nice. All these people are like angrily wanting gas. Anyways, I tell him the situation. He feels bad for me. Gets the biggest cone. I've never seen the, uh, this big of an orange cone in my life. Puts it right behind, behind my car to state, watch out for the idiot. Okay? <laughs> like seriously, this dude is an idiot. He has no idea what he's doing. You have to go around. That kind of thing. That's what I was feeling like. Okay? I then, immediately, since I have to wait an hour, I don't want to be here all by myself and feel the shame and embarrassment, so I call Evan. <laughs> I was like, Evan, can you come hang out? No, it wasn't a hangout. It was like, could you assess the situation? He's like, sure. So he comes. As he's making his way, I decide to call my wife. Worst case scenario, give her the news over the phone so when we get home, she'll be calmed down. The minute I pass this information on to Becca, worst case scenario with her, how much is it going to cost? You're going to get it towed? You're going to get it to the dealership? Where All this stuff on money immediately. Worst case scenario. Get off the phone with her. There's a line of people. I'm really paranoid. Evan finally gets there, jumps in the car, figures out the problem within a minute. One thing I did not tell you in this situation, the weirdest thing was happening, and my mind was just so off, I wasn't even focused. The car, like, ate my keys. I couldn't get my keys out of, the, out of the steering wheel. Never had that happen. Lights were flying, all that kind of stuff. I had it in drive. <laughs> the car was in go. <laughs> yeah. I felt like, I felt like flat on my face in front of thousands of people. You know, it's like one of those, you know, look around, I'm okay. Um, isn't that what fear does to us, though? One nugget of truth. We build a case, and then we seek that case. And we're, it's like a wildfire. And it builds up in our life so much. That's what sixes tend to have a bias towards. That adrenaline of worry, the adrenaline of fear. That is not the way Jesus wants us to live. Because here's the thing. Sixes, and anybody, we were created for greatness by a heavenly father that absolutely adores and loves you. And you can't focus on your greatness if you're focusing on the fear. So there's a couple of verses that I just want to leave us with as we talk about this fear. One coming from uh, Chronicles about David. David, uh, then David continued, he just says, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or uh, discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Isn't that powerful? The fact that we can understand already, if we are on God's side, there is victory. I don't know why we don't think about this more often. I don't know why it takes events in our lives or, or uh, panic attacks or points where we just have to be on our knees to be reminded of God is victorious. And he will never forsake you. He will never leave you, no matter where you're at in life. No matter how far, I've talked to people for all my life, it seems like whenever they find out I'm a pastor, they're just like, I've done so much, I can never walk back into a church. That's not the way God works. He will never forsake you or leave you. In the context of this verse, talking about specifically work towards the temple, in your own time, I encourage you to go look at that. It's so true for that time as well as today. But it's talking about he will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. I believe that speaks more into the kingdom of God today. 
building the kingdom of God today. Next, this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Just being reminded, he is my safety. He is my refuge. No one else takes that job. Not even my spouse. Nobody else takes that job. He is my refuge and my safe place. I trust in him. When I read stuff like that, it just brings peace to my soul. I need to be reminded of that. And when we're talking about the loyalists, their chief motivation and who they are as characteristics is they are so loyal and they are so kind. They absolutely love people and they are incredible with people if they're healthy. And fear can plague that. Fear can take them out of the game. So I just want to remind you as we we move towards a close about the loyalty and kindness. Even this is what the Bible says about that. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Never. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Please do that. Please. Write them deep within your heart. That's the point. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. I just find it fantastic. Loyal and ki- loyalty and kindness is incredible. We never want to leave those kinds of people, truly. And I want to remind you, that is an amazing attribute that this world needs today. We need loyalty and kindness. So what? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? We always, we've been trying to conclude most uh, weeks with a superpower from the, the number we're talking about. Six, as a loyalist, the superpower is this. Commitment. Commitment. And I'm telling you today, more than ever, I see less commitment in our world. True commitment. And I'm just picturing how much the kingdom of God can be built with loyal people who are dedicated and committed to the church, to people, to a community. Can you imagine what can be accomplished through that? So I'd love to pray with you as we close. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just a moment where we can talk about fear, talk about loyalists. But Father, I just pray right now that regardless of where we're at, what we're bringing to this room, what's going on in our life, my prayer is this, that we would hear from you and how much you absolutely love us all. You gave your life for us. No one has ever done a better thing for humanity than you. You want us rescued. You want us in a place of safety. And so, Father, I pray this fear, this anxiety would just fall away. And we would walk together in victory with our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.